The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Good morning. It is my pleasure to welcome and greet you to the sacred space that is Marsh Chapel, a heart in the heart of the city, a service in the service of the city. We welcome to all of you sitting here in our congregations and our pews and also to our congregational family via the radio at WBUR 90.9 FM and our global with listeners via the web. An especially warm welcome to our guest preacher, Reverend Dr. Regina Walton, who hails to us as the pastor and rector of Grace Episcopal Church in Newton Corner, Massachusetts, and a recent Boston University School of Theology PhD graduate. Welcome. We join together this Sunday morning to give thanks to the Creator and to recognize the divine that moves among us. Let us stand as we are able and praise God while the choir sings our introit and we join together in hymn song.
join together in saying our collect this morning. Almighty God, you have given your only Son to be for us a sacrifice for sin and also an example of godly life. Give us grace to receive thankfully the fruits of this redeeming work and to follow daily in the blessed steps of his most holy life. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and forever. Amen. Please be seated. We enter into a time of reflection on both the things we have done and left undone that burden us through our days. As the choir leads us in singing the Kyrie together, may we reflect on our lives as creatures of the world, creatures of the earth, and children continually struggling and striving to live in the presence of God. Lord, have mercy. Friends, hear the good news. There is more love in God than there is sin in us. If we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God. A lesson from the book of Genesis, chapter 26, verses 12 through 18. Isaac sowed seed in that land of Gerar, and in the same year reaped a hundredfold. The Lord blessed him, and the man became rich. He prospered more and more until he became very wealthy. He had possessions of flocks and herds and a great household, so that the Philistines envied him. Now the Philistines had stopped up and filled with earth all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the days of his father Abraham. And Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us. You have become too powerful for us. So Isaac departed from there and camped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. Isaac dug again the wells of water that had been dug in the days of his father Abraham, for the Philistines had stopped them up after the death of Abraham, and he gave them the names that his father had given them. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Psalm 84 with the antiphon. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, indeed it faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, which she, where she may lay her young. At your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Happy are those who live in your house, ever singing your praise. Happy are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. The God of gods will be seen in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than live in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. He bestows favor and honor. No good thing does the Lord withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, happy is everyone who trusts in you. My soul longs for your Let us stand as we are able for the singing of the Gloria Patri and the reading of the Gospel. Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Luke, chapter 18, verses 15 through 17. Glory to you, O Lord. People were bringing even infants to Jesus that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they sternly ordered him not to do it. But Jesus called for them and said, Let the little children come to me, and do not stop them. For it is to such as these that the kingdom of God belongs. Truly, I tell you, 
whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will never enter it. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, Lord Christ. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be found acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. I'm thrilled to be back among you this morning at Marsh Chapel, and I want to thank Dean Hill for his invitation to, in his words, back cleanup in this summer's national preaching series. I've had a chance to listen to the fine sermons that have been preached in this series, and they are available on the Marsh Chapel website for you as well. 
I must say, though, the last time I preached here, I was a lot less nervous in preparing my sermon because I really had no idea just how many people listened to this broadcast. But then the following week, people kept coming up to me and emailing and saying, hey, I heard you on the radio. In fact, I've learned that there are people out there right now listening who already went to church this morning and heard one sermon already, and now they're listening to another service on their way home. If that describes you, I just want to say, wow. That's like what the Puritans did. <laughs> Two sermons on a Sunday. It's wonderful to think of what an eclectic communion of saints this service brings together over the airwaves. God bless you all. The theme for this series has been the gospel and emerging adults. That's a category used to refer to younger adults, 18 to 29 years of age, or sometimes more generously, 18 to 35. Sometimes even beyond that, though I feel like by the time you hit 40, you've emerged, for better or for worse. So the preachers in this series have reflected on many important virtues and values, on wonder, wisdom, simplicity, silence, hospitality, and how these relate to ministry with emerging adults. This morning, I want to go in a bit of a different direction and talk about how the church understands young adults. This topic has some urgency as so-called emerging adults are leaving the church in record numbers, a phenomena sometimes called the rise of the nuns, N-O-N-E-S, those who do not identify with any particular faith. This is a fast-growing group and includes a third of all Americans under 30. But emerging adults emerge from somewhere. I actually want to go back even further and meditate on how the church understands emerging, emerging adults, what we usually call children. I want to suggest that many of us who are followers of Christ, despite our best intentions and our desire to welcome children, youth, and young adults into faith and into our churches, have a flawed paradigm of spiritual development. And this flawed understanding is helping to bring about the opposite of what we desire, namely young adults abandoning the church in record numbers. A few weeks ago, my family was vacationing in Maine, and I decided to do something that many of my parishioners do all the time, but that I, as an Episcopal priest serving a parish, don't get to do very often, go to church and sit in the pew with my children. My husband and son decided to sleep in, but I found a church nearby, and I went with my three-year-old daughter, Cecily. We brought a small backpack full of My Little Ponies to aid Cecily's worship experience. <laughs> she was very excited to go. But the people who were already in the pew when we arrived seemed less excited to see her. No one said anything, but when we sat down, I noticed their mouths were set in the stiff lines of those who must endure. We were in the back, so there was room to unpack the ponies. The usher brought us another box of books and crayons. 
Cecily had a great time at church. She liked the hymns, she loved the stained glass windows. We stood in the back in the aisle for communion so she could see the priest consecrating the elements. She noticed the Paschal candle and the font where babies are baptized. She was so eager to receive communion that she suggested we cut to the front of the line. When I said that we needed to wait our turn, she complimented some people near us on how patiently they were waiting. She talked about Jesus in her best stage whisper, which admittedly is not great as whispers go. Cecily was worshiping in her way. But we didn't get too much of a welcome. At the end, the other people in our pew left as quickly as possible. No one really spoke to us and I felt how I imagine the parents of many, other young, many young children feel at the end of a service, like we had pulled something off or gotten through the service. Like airplanes and fancy restaurants, worship at church is one place parents of young children can feel acute anxiety, as if we've brought our kids somewhere that they don't really belong. Today's Gospel reading from Luke tells us, people were bringing even infants to Jesus that he might touch them, and when the disciples saw it, they sternly ordered him not to do it. Parents wanted their children to experience Jesus' blessing. They wanted to bring them close to the presence of God. But the disciples decided to act like bodyguards and send them away. There are two reasons this passage is surprising. First, because think of all the other kinds of people who were permitted open access to Jesus, reviled tax collectors and prostitutes, lepers, people possessed by demons, but really no babies. What were the disciples afraid of? And the second surprising thing, these are the disciples, not the Pharisees. These are the people who've left everything to follow Jesus, to align themselves with his message. These are the people who love Jesus the most, and yet they totally misinterpret what he is about. Jesus tells the disciples to let the little children come to me and do not stop them or hinder them, for it is to such as these that the kingdom of God belongs. And then he adds, truly I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will never enter it. This story appears in three of the four Gospels. It's a cornerstone of Jesus' teaching. A passage in the Gospel of Matthew contains an even more pointed warning. Truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, the Bible doesn't contain any stories or references to the grown-ups of God. They don't exist. We are all, always and forever, children of God. The disciples didn't understand this, but this perspective is key to following the way of Jesus. The Greek word for change, and you must change and become, that Jesus uses in Matthew also means to turn or to convert, to make a dramatic change in direction. Unless you convert and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. I've observed that many of us today who follow Jesus don't have 
a proper perspective on the faith lives of children. Pretty much every church I know of says they welcome children and families with young children. In fact, these families are often highly sought after since a church full of children is taken as a sign of health for the future. But we must ask ourselves, are we valuing children for what they represent, especially in terms of institutional vitality, or are we valuing them because of who they are and what we can learn from them? Are we welcoming children but not honoring them and the unique contributions they make? Are we truly considering them as spiritual equals and full members of the church with real, meaningful, and regular opportunities to worship, to learn, and to serve? John Westerhoff wrote a wonderful book many years ago that I highly recommend to you called Will Our Children Have Faith? He had a term for what I'm talking about. He said that in order to transmit and sustain faith, there must be shared experience, storytelling, celebration, action, and reflection between and among what he called equal faithing selves. Equal faithing selves. Children don't want to know about God. They want to know God. That is from Jerome Berryman, the developer of a method of Christian education called Godly Play, which is based on Montessori educational practices. Children don't need grown-ups of God acting as mediators or gatekeepers to the divine. They need companions on their journey. They don't need ministry for them, but ministry with them that includes them fully. Children want to learn, children want to serve at church and in the world, and children want to worship. Yes, they really do want to worship. However, adults often act towards young people in church as if children don't want any of these things, and in fact are incapable of anything but a poor imitation of them. There was a little boy named Joel in a previous parish where I served, and when he was three, his mother began to let him help her usher at church. Or rather, I think Joel insisted that he be allowed to help usher. He loved greeting people and handing out bulletins. He never once dropped the offering plate. He saw a place where he could serve, and he did serve. His mother, Emily, taught him how. One Sunday, Emily told me that during the week, he had been misbehaving in a store, and she said to him, Joel, if you don't calm down right now, I'm not going to let you help me usher on Sunday. And that did the trick instantly. Faith is taught, and faith is caught. Emily knew that. The Greek word that the early church used for teaching is catechesis, like catechism. Catechesis literally means echoing, echoing back. But for our children to be able to echo back, that means they have to be within earshot. That means they have to be alongside us, worshiping, learning, serving. John Westerhoff in Will Our Children Have Faith writes about how in the last 50 or so years, the church did something it had never done before in its whole history, 
It began separating children out of the main congregation, putting them out of earshot. The larger culture had changed, with the generations becoming more separate from each other, and the church, for the most part, changed along with the culture. But it wasn't always so. Of course, Jesus didn't say just to include children, to honor them, to welcome them. He tells us to convert and become like them, to receive the kingdom of God as they would, to learn from them, to echo them in our lives of faith as they are also echoing us. What can this mean? First of all, it means humility. In the ancient world, there was no romanticizing of children as paragons of purity or innocence. Children had no status. They were lowest in the pecking order. Children are aware of their own vulnerability. They trust and rely on those who care for them. We're called to have the same kind of trust and dependence on God. We're called to be humble in heart. We can learn this from children. Second, awe and wonder. Children revel in the newness of everything around them, in the natural world, in new experiences, in beauty, in friendship. My son said to me yesterday, look at this awesome drop of milk sliding down the side of my cup. Children recognize the extraordinary in the ordinary. We can learn this or relearn this from children and our souls can grow in wonder and gratitude and appreciation for the lives we've been given and the world in which we live. In fact, I think awe and wonder is a great antidote to many of the struggles that adults have in their lives of faith. More virtues, curiosity, knowing that we don't know and wanting to know more, the ability to give oneself over to joy and to mystery and to silliness and fun. All these things we can learn from the children in our, in our midst, but they have to be in our midst. And this brings us back by the long road to emerging adults. I'm not a sociologist, though there are some fine sociological studies of why so many young adults are leaving church after college and not coming back. But here's my hunch which is backed up by some of these studies. Young adults are leaving the church in part because they were never really invited into a full life of faith as children. They were not given authentic opportunities to worship, to learn, and to serve. They were not immersed in the stories of our faith and told that these stories were about them. Instead, they were told to be quiet during church giving coloring worksheets, and asked to put some pennies in a cardboard box during Lent. They were given a sanitized gospel, like one of the toddler children's Bibles we have at home, where every story ends before anything bad happens. So Adam and Eve are happy in the garden, and Joseph gets to keep his beautiful coat, and baby Moses sleeps in a basket. The end. No sadness, no pain but no redemption either. They were given a kiddie-sized faith without the language of death and resurrection and new beginnings out of calamity. And so, if calamity ever happened to them, faith had nothing to say about it. 
No wonder they lost interest. I've noticed over the years how the church takes a special interest in adolescence that it never had in children. After all, adolescents can reason abstractly. They are somewhat better at sitting still. They can go on service projects and mission trips. They are on their way to becoming a grown-up of God. But by then, it is usually too late. They have been out of earshot for too long. All those best years of echoing back the faith are past. And of course, the desire for closeness with adults has waned in this new developmental stage. But there is a new paradigm of faith formation, which is really an old paradigm from the parables of Jesus. Jesus tells two of his pithiest parables about a mustard seed. The first one says, if you have faith like a mustard seed, you can move mountains. The second one says that the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, the smallest of seeds that grows into the largest of shrubs. I like that anticlimax there, the largest of shrubs. With Jesus, humility always wins the day. This is why children are the best receivers of the kingdom, faith like a mustard seed. The smallest amount of faith is still faith. The faith contained in the smallest of people is still faith, and it can grow and flourish continually. This is truly good news, not just for youngsters, but for us oldsters who are still trying to figure out who we are in God. We are not called to be mediators or gatekeepers to the youngest among us. We're called to be fellow pilgrims who learn from each other. That means spending time together, learning together, listening to each other, serving together, wondering together, worshiping together, young and old. It's not always easy. It's not always quiet. It takes practice and patience this echoing and echoing back, this sharing, this mutuality. But this is how together we receive the kingdom of God as children of God, still growing wherever we are on the path, at any and every age, with or without my little ponies in the pew. In God's name, amen. turn our hearts and minds to prayer, and as we do, I invite you to remain seated, to kneel, to come to the communion rail according to your tradition. As we join together in our call to prayer, lead me, Lord.
In peace, let us pray to the Lord. I will conclude each petition. We pray to you, O Lord. Please respond, Lord, have mercy. For the Holy Church of God, that it may be filled with truth and love and be found without fault at the day of your coming. We pray to you, O Lord. Lord, have mercy. For our Dean and all ministers, and today particularly for Liz Douglas, who will be ordained this afternoon to the Christian ministry, and for all the holy people of God, we pray to you, O Lord. Lord, have mercy. For the mission of the Church, that in faithful witness it may preach the gospel to the ends of the earth, we pray to you, O Lord. Lord, have mercy. For the peace of the world, that a spirit of respect and forbearance may grow among nations and peoples, and for particularly for the people of Iraq, for justice, for peace, for liberty, for religious minorities. We pray to you, O Lord. Lord, have mercy. For those in positions of public trust, that they may serve justice and promote the dignity and freedom of every person, and particularly for our brothers and sisters in Ferguson, Missouri, we pray to you, O Lord. Lord, have mercy. For a blessing upon all human labor and for the right use of the riches of creation, that the world may be freed from poverty, famine, and disaster, we pray to you, O Lord. Lord, have mercy. For the poor, the persecuted, the sick, and all who suffer, for refugees, prisoners, and all who are in danger, that they may be relieved and protected, we pray to you, O Lord. Lord, have mercy. For all who have commended themselves to our prayers, for our families, friends, and neighbors, that being freed from anxiety, we may live in joy, peace, and health. We pray to you, O Lord. Lord, have mercy. For our enemies and those who wish us harm, and for all whom we have injured or offended, we pray to you, O Lord. Lord, have mercy. For all who have died in the communion of your church, and those whose faith is known to you alone, that with all the saints they may have rest in that place where there is no pain or grief, but life eternal. We pray to you, O Lord. Lord, have mercy. Rejoicing in the fellowship of all the saints, let us commend ourselves and one another and all our life to Christ our God as we pray in the words Christ gave us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Thank you.
Peace be with you. I'd like to take this time to welcome you again to Marsh Chapel, a sanctuary amongst a city, a place of peace in times of chaos and stress. We hope that you find a home here, wherever you are on your spiritual journey. Know that this is a good place for you to continue your walk. We would love to get to know you better and help you get to know one another better. And a great way of doing that is by putting your name and contact information in the red books towards the center of each aisle. Please pass those along. Marsh Chapel is a living, breathing church with many ongoings, a few of which I'll highlight for you now. Directly following the service will be refreshments downstairs. This is a great opportunity for fellowship and coffee. You are all so welcome to join us. Next Sunday, Dean Hill will return and deliver a sermon and share with us in word and worship. And we're delighted and ecstatic to announce that our very own Liz Douglas, Chaplet Associate for LGBTQ Ministry and UCC Ministry, will be getting ordained this afternoon at 3 p.m. at United Parish in Brookline. Congratulations. We are so delighted to have you as a minister here and elsewhere. Good morning. I'd also like to add my welcome to you and particular welcome to Christian Lane, who is our guest organist this morning. Welcome, Christian. Thank you so much for being here. And a special acknowledgement also for the summer choir. Those of you who come each week or listen on the radio each week, we have a, a revolving roster who lead the worship service musically each Sunday. And I'll be away next Sunday and won't be able to acknowledge them and thank them. Uh, but they have blessed us richly through, with their presence and leadership all summer long. Um, and they'll be led next week by our conducting fellow starting this coming year, Joshua Rohde, and Justin Blackwell will be back at the organ. But please join me in thanking our summer musicians. You can find more information about Marsh Chapel on our website, bu.edu chapel, where there is also an opportunity for online giving. As we beckon the ushers forward, let us be reminded that it is a gift to be a giver. We have the opportunity now to practice that ancient, sacred discipline of Christianity and generosity as the choir lifts us up in song.
Loving God, we lift up these gifts before you with thoughtful hearts and compassionate intentions. May they be used to further your work in the world and share the generous love of Christ in our midst. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. of God, which passeth all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of God and of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, and the blessing of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be among you and remain with you always.